Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. Tomorrow's Hockey Day in Canada from Olin Sound on uh, Sportsnet. Home of Sam McKee. Yes. Former home of the Platers. Now the Owen Sound Attack. Way cooler name, the Platers. Yeah. Uh, they plate stuff. Yeah. McKee told me that he uh, he has a bunch of Platers gear still. Mm-hmm. I've seen his jersey. Yeah. That's cool. Um, I distinctly remember a hockey day in Canada playing hockey with my young son on an outdoor rink. It's like six degrees today. Like, I, I'm nowhere near cold enough to be on an outdoor rink. It's, just, it's zero degrees, but yeah, I get your point. Whatever. I don't know. It's just weird. Um, as somebody who's in charge of, of flooding our outdoor rink, I'm a little bit frustrated. Yeah, because it, yeah, it's it's going to look like you didn't do a good job with the rink. I did, it's not my fault. I can't control the weather yet. All right, let's talk to uh, our fa- our friend. It's uh, been too long since we last spoke to him. Reno Lavoie of TVA Sports uh, joins us now. How's it going, Ren? Pretty good. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, yeah, thanks for doing this. I'll start with the, the Habs here for a second. Um, yep. Because that was an interesting matchup yesterday because it's, hmm. I don't know, if you're a Habs fan, like, I, I don't know if, if, if you you wanted to actually win that game to, to increase the chances that the Panthers are out of the playoffs and that you end up with the, another lottery ball for Connor Bedard. They end up losing it 6-2 to the Panthers, and the Panthers now two points out of the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. That's a weird one, though. Are, are, are Habs fans now, like, every day looking at the out-of-town scoreboard to see if the Panthers are winning or losing and if they're going to have extra ping-pong balls? Honestly, you just nailed it. Yes, they're looking at it. They're watching it. And, and I know for sure that, you know, management wants the Canadians to beat uh, the Florida Panthers every time they're they're facing or uh, each other. And uh, when they, they played each other uh, after Christmas, it was a big loss for the Canadians. A little bit uh, of the same last night. Uh, that was at the Bell Centre. They, they have another two games left uh, between the two. But, uh, you know, on the flip side, if you watch the rivalry between those two teams, it's quite interesting to watch. I think Radko Gudis is driving uh, everyone crazy. Uh, So uh, I can't wait. To be honest, I can't wait for next game in March between those two teams. We'll also get uh, maybe late, late, late in the year, um, you know, that second last game of the season for Montreal is against the Islanders. Maybe you lay down to help the (laughs) Islanders get that last wild card spot or something. Could be some some fun stuff going on there. Um, So that's next year's lottery. This past year's lottery uh, landed Montreal at number one, Slavkovsky, uh, a bit of an up and down start to his career. He's now on the shelf for uh, about three months, it sounds like. Um, what was your feeling on Slavkovsky before this injury in terms of, you know, was he best served with maybe an AHL stint? Uh, was he starting to come around and just, you know, an injury is an injury. But had that injury not happened, what do you think was the best path forward for him the rest of the season? To be honest with you, it's really um, going through the grind of playing uh, as much games as possible in the NHL. Um, why I'm saying that? Because uh, Uri Slavkovsky is such a big body. Uh, he's a man. Um, and and if you look at his skating, there's no issues with his skating. It was just uh, for him to be a little more accustomed to, uh, first of all, a smaller rink. After that, playing way more games than he was playing before. Uh, and playing in the best uh, league in the world, if he w- would have gone to the uh, AHL in Laval, pressure would have been really big on him to score goals. His focus would have been probably only on scoring goals. Uh, 
uh, and I don't think it would have helped his game because the issues with uh, Slavkovsky, and I'm using uh, the word issues, and I, I don't think it's the right one. Uh, I, I should say what he needs to work on is really his game defensively, and he, it, it was coming along. He was starting to block shots. He was tr- uh, starting to make some good plays. It's, it's really um, sad that probably his season is over uh, because uh, it would have been really interesting to see how he, he would have played those, those last 30, 35 games uh, before the end of the season. So, you know, it's a cliche. It is what it is right now. But uh, in, in my mind, uh, Jurav Slavkovsky would have uh, be better served to play uh, – all, all the season in the all this season in the NHL. Yeah, uh, and we'll, we'll just have to fingers crossed. Uh, hope that he is uh, back to full health to start next season. All right, so yeah. uh, I guess it's trade season, man. The 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 NHL trade deadline isn't until March third, which is if, if forever. Um, but, but there are reports that like the Bo Horvat trade discussions are starting to, to heat up around the the Vancouver. Canucks. Is that, is that what you're hearing, Ren? Is it like way too early to start having these conversations, or is somebody gonna gonna try and jump the gun here um, months before the yeah. trade deadline? There are so many issues right now with the Canucks, and I, I I believe that management right now they're they're desperate to make a move, and that's what it is. And I believe that some teams want to take advantage of the of the this situation. Uh, I, I I'll be surprised if Bohr, that is still a Canuck in a month. It needs. It's going to happen, I believe, earlier than that. If not, it's because probably there was a trade or two that were really was really really close to be done, and and it didn't happen. So that's the only way I see it. Um, I know there's tons of discussions right now between GMs around the league. I'm a little surprised that uh, you know I, I understand there was a trade freeze uh, during uh, Christmas time. But I, I, in my mind, we should have already seen a, a big trade or two. Uh, but it didn't happen since the, the beginning of, the, of this month. Maybe it's going to happen next week. Who knows? But uh, to be honest, with the, the number of conversation and how close some trades uh, were, actually, I, I'm surprised that um, nothing big was announced uh, around the NHL uh, since the start of this month. Yeah, so I mentioned that report that the conversation is starting to heat up around Bo Horvat, but it was also yeah. reported, I think it was Elliot Friedman who said that there there has not been a request by any team to talk to Bo as, as far as negotiating a contract extension. He's a pending free agent. I mean, some big names are pending free agents who could be rentals there. Ryan O'Reilly, Patrick Kane, of course, yeah. and Jonathan Taves. The, they're all uh, pending free agents. How does that work, Ren? Because, like, obviously, if you're the team trading that player, you can you, you probably get a bigger return if you allow the team to negotiate no an doubt. extension off that. But there's you're cutting it. Like, if you're the Leafs, you're probably not. You're getting that's part of the. It's a feature, not a bug, that that these players are pending free agents because you can't afford them. You want them as rentals. Yeah. Does that take them out of the market? If in fact the Canucks are are listening, or, or they're going to allow teams to talk to Bo Horvat about an extension. You know, if you want value, uh, you need an extension. If you want real value in return, you need an extension. Um, and, and I know it's probably tough to understand for, for a lot of people, but uh, GMs, they they have a lot of pressure. Uh, they, they're looking at uh, the actual market. And if you're looking at 
or if it's not the Montreal Canadiens, the Vancouver Canucks, um, they have good players probably that they, they need to trade. Um, but it, it, it's like I mentioned a few minutes ago. I'm telling you, I'm pretty sure it's the same situation in, in Vancouver. Like the name that are all, that, that are all there, the, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, we can not necessarily a guy like Josh Anderson because he's got a few years left uh, for the Montreal Canadiens. But, um, you know, a, a guy like uh, Joel Edmondson, I mean, I'm telling you, it, it was close. Like, it is close. But at the same time, the GM needs to have maximum value. So they, all GMs, they have a plan in mind. Um, and for sure, Joel Edmondson doesn't need an extension, right? He's got another year left. Uh, if we were talking about Josh Anderson, he's got another four years left. But let's focus on... Uh, Borvat, who needs an extension. If a team is willing to probably give a first-round pick, a young prospect, and maybe another player, uh, and the, the Canucks feel that, that with that trade, they're going to be okay, and they feel that they can make a move, for sure the other team is going to say, okay, we're going to give you as the max asset that you want, but at the same time, we need a deal. So the reason why there's no talks right now with, with other teams is just because the offers in front of the Canucks are not the, the slam dunk the, that they want. It's exactly the same thing with the Montreal Canadiens on a, a player like Joel Edmondson. The, the discussions are there since a long time, but they need that slam dunk to, to just finish the trade. And I mean, that's, that's what GMs are waiting for right now. In, in Montreal or probably in Vancouver, it's going to happen. Someone at one point will say, okay, uh, let's, let's find a solution. Let's make that deal happen. But, yes, uh, for sure, if Borovat doesn't sign an extension, it's going to be a different trade for uh, the Canucks. It's not going to be uh, as good as probably they were expected. So They are expecting, I should say. So if we if you look across uh, the aisle, so to speak, at, at the team visiting Montreal on Saturday, it's the Toronto Maple Leafs. Of course, uh, on this show, we, we've got to leaf localize everything. But Bo Horvat is an interesting guy there. Yeah. We thought heading into the season that it was going to be on the defensive side where the Toronto Maple Leafs needed to add. And that depth is kind of held up. Uh, better than expected and overperformed yeah. when healthy. Um, have you have you heard? Have you gotten a sense around the league if the Leafs if the Leafs figure to be more active on the forward end of things than we'd maybe expected coming into this year? You know what? If you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs, um, you know the good thing is they they signed uh, Giordano uh, this summer. It was not a big contract. Uh, for them, uh, and, and you felt like Giordano really wanted to play as a Maple Leaf. And, and you're talking about the stability uh, in the back end. That's what we're seeing right now with the Maple Leafs. Do I expect the Leafs to make a move to, to, to get another defenseman? No doubt. But is it going to be a, a power play type of defenseman? No, I think it's going to be more a depth, uh, a depth D. And if you look at the forwards available that yes there is some really good forwards available but i don't believe it's going to be much more than a rental player and again what do you really need if you look at the toronto maple leafs offense right now i watched them versus the uh, the jets last night the way they played i mean 
They're, they're really, really good. And you're going to tell me, well, Renault, it's been like that for a few years. The, the issue here is not really what's going on uh, during the, the season. It's more what's, what's going on with the league during the playoffs. And if we, we go back in history, we're looking at the team that um, in the playoffs, well, th- there's one reason why they're not winning in the first round. It's just because the other team is scoring more goals. So <laughs> I, I do believe that they need, again, much depth, but probably on the third or, or, or the fourth line. And I know the guys that are there right now are playing well, but you know what it is. There is some injuries after uh, the trading deadline. You better be uh, careful, uh, and, and you, you, need, you need assets. And if you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, not the Toronto Maple Leafs, but the Tampa Bay Lightning, there's a reason they, they want to stand like up in, the ro- in a row because they, they have depth. Um, and one of the reasons why they went to another Stanley Cup final, uh, they couldn't win versus uh, uh, Colorado. One of the reasons why Braden Point was injured, so it's kind of impossible to to replace a guy like Braden Point. Uh, every, everyone knows. But what I see with the Maple Leafs is, again, more depth, trying to find uh, the right solution, maybe uh, getting a player that's going to be able to play on on a power play, but it's is at the same time really good, reliable defensively. That's what they need. And they, they probably they're going to play versus the, the Lightning again in the, fir- in the first round. You have the Boston Bruins in the division. It's going to be tough. It's going to be real tough. And I think management is doing a great job in Toronto. I look at the coaching staff. They're doing a great job. They, they just need to make sure now that they, they'll have enough depth. If there is some injured players, they're going to be capable of uh, going through, uh, you know, all this, the issues in front of them. Mm-hmm. And, and But, I, I, again, I like what I see. So there's a couple of moves to be made, but I don't, I don't think they're going to go get a, a Patrick Kane type of player. I don't, I don't see it, not because Kane can, can help. The uh, the Maple Leafs is just a question. That's not, that's not what they need right now. Uh, Leafs and Montreal Canadiens tomorrow, 7 o'clock on Hockey Day in Canada. Before we let you go, Ren, uh, you mentioned, yeah, the, the, the Vancouver Canucks need things to happen. They need trades to happen. They need a, a coaching change, which will happen. I don't know if it's even going to happen in season. Like, it's getting embarrassing for Bruce Boudreaux. He had a very emotional yeah. press conference the other day um, where everybody knows that Rick Tockett's going to be the next head coach there. But, uh, I, I mean, he is getting paid. I mean, what do you make of the situation there? Should they have just pulled the, the cord on, on Bruce Boudreaux already? What, what do you make of the fact that they haven't and they've let him just kind of hang out there? It's a little uh, – it's a gong show. Let's put it this way. It's disappointing to see. I'm disappointed to see how things are going there. I really believe that at one point that team could have been really, really dangerous in the playoffs, especially last year. It's not happening. Uh, and you see that there's a, a big culture problem inside that dressing room. Culture, uh, that's why there. there's a reason why the, the Tampa Bay Lightning or Toronto Maple Leafs are good. It's because they're, they have the right culture. Um, the players are, are uh, making sure that everyone is playing the right way. Everyone's accountable. That's the way you see it, especially a little bit, probably a little more in Tampa than in Toronto, but you, you never know uh, what's going to happen with the Leafs again this season. So we'll see. The, the big issue that I see with the Canucks is, I mean, they hired a GM, not someone that was well-known. Is he, 
the type of person that's going to bring culture inside a, a room or inside a team that really needs one? I don't think so. Um, and Bruce Boudreau, when he was hired, hired sorry, it was kind of a fluke. Uh, yes, it was fun a year ago, but we, we're looking at the big picture right now. He's not the right man. I, I think the biggest mistake probably was the hiring of that GM. And it's really sad to say, so whoever they're going to put there, I'm just going to wish them good luck because, yes, you're going to make some moves. You're going to, make big, you're going to trade some big players, big-time players, for what? And, and you're going to start again, uh, you know, and, and you're going to draft slow, I mean, or high, if you, whatever you want to put it. Um, I mean, it's, I, I think they're trending in a, the wrong direction. And it's probably because they made the right, the wrong moves a few months ago. And so we'll see how it's going to turn out. But believe me, things are not trending in the right direction in this organization. Connor Bedard would help. Hometown kid. Uh, going to the Vancouver Yeah, he Canucks. would. But, <laughs> but you know what? I, I'm with you. I'm with you. But the savior, to, to put a player and say, he's our savior. It's not, I, I don't believe in saviors. Mm. I believe that players needs to be well surrounded, mm-hmm. uh, and they need to be accountable early in their in their career. Is, is that what we're seeing right now with the Canucks? I don't think so. No, no, definitely not. Not no, right and, now. And, and if you're asking me, can the are the Coyotes in a better play, a better position? <laughs> to, they, honestly, <laughs> it's better to be a young player with the Coyotes right now than with the Canucks. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at least it's warmer in uh, in January. Well, uh, it's warmer. You're well coached, <laughs> uh, and, and it's an organization that's uh, you know uh, making sure that the young kids are playing a lot. And I think they're doing things the right way. To be honest with you, yeah, no pressure either. Uh, Red, no. <laughs> always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this, man. Enjoy uh, the weekend, guys, and enjoy the game tomorrow night. All right, you too. See ya. There's uh, Ren Olivier of TVA Sports. Um, I guess that's a, one way to view it. If you're Connor Bedard, that you would want to play in Arizona. I, I would think that the, the BC kid would probably want to play for his hometown Canucks would be my initial thought on it. But I, I get, I, you know, yeah, it's a dysfunctional organization at the moment. Jim Rutherford has a bit of a track well, record. This is what I was going to say. You'd probably <laughs> want to play for your hometown Canucks. And, and you know, that's a, it's a really fun place to be when the, when the team is good. Um, do you get, as excited to play under a Jim Rutherford run front office. Maybe you don't think about it that much if you're, if you're a prospect anyway. Um, do you like going into a situation where the head coach knows he's going to get fired and is just waiting for when and is getting asked about it regularly in a really awkward and uncomfortable way? He won't be there by the time Connor Bedard right. is there. But it says something about how you handle things. And like uh, the outbound Bo Horvat may not, I mean, we'll see how that plays out. I could see that not being the, you know, players talk, agents talk, and word gets around. Not that, again, this is the number one pick. He's not going to Lindros it if he lands on his hometown team. I'm sure he'd be excited to make the most of it. Um, But that franchise right now is very dysfunctional and kind of directionless where, you know, Rutherford's publicly pushing back on, well, we are tanking, but you have made moves to win now over the last little bit. And you have, you are saying things like, well, if we can't move these salaries, we'll just buy the players out. 
Kills completely your undercutting your your trade lever. Like I don't know, it, it's uh, it's not rudderless because there is a rudder. But I think the like if you're trying to go forward, the rudder is kind of spinning in place, trying to take you left and right. Like I don't. Oh, I've been in a paddle boat like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Most of them are pretty janky. Yeah, <laughs> there's no question. Um, the Boudreaux thing is is super interesting to me because everybody loves this guy. Like from a, on a personal level. I know that he has a lot of friends in this city, right? A former How, Toronto Maple Leaf. Yeah, huge wrestling fan. How yeah. could you not like a guy like that? Like, he's he's what I've come to call a beersman. And, and <laughs> what that is is he is someone that I think most people would really like to have a beer with. Uh, am I, or am I that? whatever your beverage uh, of choice is. So, yeah, you want nice things to happen for those guys. Yeah. Or those people. Well, and we got to see a little bit of his personality. He was in the, the first ever 24-7, right? Mm-hmm. When he was the head coach of the Washington Capitals. He swears a bunch. Like, he's a really good swear. Yeah. Like, really good. Effective use of all the swears. We love curses. And he's a really good regular season coach. Like, it must be said. Like, his, his postseason resume, not so great, but he's a former Jack Adams Award winner. And, man, those... Can't say that those Capitals teams weren't fun as hell to watch. Like, Mm -hmm. he is, I think he's, you would describe him as the prototypical players coach. Yeah, I also think he's a good coach for, let's be honest, that Vancouver team. Yeah, I know when he got in there last year and and, um, he was kind of the best example of, like, the dead coach bounce where the Canucks started playing better because they couldn't have played worse. Right. And that's why you fire the coach. It probably didn't have a lot to do with Boudreaux. But had you known going into this season things would be as bad as they are for Vancouver, I do think he's probably a great, like, bad situation, keep the locker room from boiling over kind of coach. Totally. Now, does that get you another job when you're 68 years old? Probably not. He's probably best cast now as an assistant coach but yeah the way they've treated him and handled this is gross it sucks it's not like it's not like some end of the world thing but i don't think that's how you should treat people and i think it says a lot about your organizational priorities and your organizational culture that you're willing to and 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 willing to do all this under the the guise of like oh well we're just being honest would you like us to to fib that, like that's no, it. we would just like you to have some respect for the guy. And if you're going to make that move, and you've decided you're going to make that move, make that move. Yeah. Okay. So, without Jim Rutherford, like Jim Rutherford's incredible time. So I also have two minds here because I want everybody to say what's on their mind, and I love it when people are frank in pro sports, whether it's players, whether it's I don't want everyone or, to say what's on their mind. Or yeah, I do because I want people to. I want. I want to know. I, I okay. Yeah. Why well, you you. Well, I just, I mean, we just went through the Tortorella putting his, oh, yeah, putting his I, mouth I, I, multiple don't times. Don't you want to know? Don't you want to know? I think I could have guessed. <laughs> uh, the, the guy who, yeah, threatened to bench any player who participated in um, protests of the anthem, but you want to protest against inclusion, then, yeah. then who cares? Well, you, you'll actually get the most minutes, and I'll say how much I respect you after. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I needed... I, I'm glad More. we know. I'm glad we know. I just think we knew. <laughs> yeah, we probably did. But Jim Rutherford, I appreciated the candor. I did. But that's the the whole problem with this. It is not a problem that the Vancouver Canucks have already made up their mind that Bruce Boudreaux is not the next head coach and that he's done. Maybe in season, maybe the end of this season. Yeah, but that's once not you go, a big deal. Once you go public with it, once you say explicitly that, yeah, we're talking to other head coaching candidates... That's where it's it's yeah. it's totally unprofessional. Like imagine 
in the 5.30 block today, you had said, oh, by the way, Blake, I had a meeting before this show, and uh, <laughs> you're out. J.D. Bunkus is my co-host starting Monday. Yeah. Would you expect me to have a good rest of the show? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't expect you to have a good rest of the show either. And, no, yeah. and I don't think that future employees or other employees would think that highly of it. And, yeah, I don't think I would do my best work. Yeah, so this is it. I, I, my Because I, I, I don't... When you're making millions of dollars, I, my my instinct is to say that's what the money's for, right? Yeah, and in that's many the respects, Don yeah, and, and in many respects, it is what I say when it comes to heckling of players and poor Novak Djokovic had to battle through a heckler at the Australian Open. That's what the money's for, even though it's different because you're an independent contractor, you're not under contract. But yeah, you won the match and you still get paid. Um, it is in a way what the money's for if we didn't all hear what Jim Rutherford said this week, which is, yeah, Bruce Boudreau, first of all, it's not the first time he's publicly, like, just slammed poor Gabby mm-hmm. early in the season, talked about him being, like, the reason why this team stinks. I think it might be the players. The lack of good players, yeah. <laughs> but then, yeah, secondarily saying, yeah, no, Rick Tockett's basically got a signed contract, and I'm not bringing him into this garbage. We'll let uh, old Gabby go out. Like, not a Hall of Fame head coach, but, like, oh, a, a, a guy that a lot of people, again, have respect for personally, a lot of people like. It was also a hilarious contract in the first place that yeah. Boudreaux was re- reportedly, he got $2 million for the remainder of last year, and then he had an option for one year and $2.5 <laughs> for this year. And, like, I guess, like, maybe because he's almost 70 or maybe the front office there thought, like, yeah, we could just, like, discourage him for picking him up. But to your point about that's what the money's for, like, Boudreaux seemed very emotional today. I'm sure this isn't the best of seasons for him, but he did also basically get like, hey, you want two and a half million to just like babysit and take the blame until we're ready to pay a, a like a proper salary. And here? I'm sure he's not doing this, but goodness gracious, if if we did like a freaky Freaky Friday like uh, body swap, and I was all of a sudden in Bruce Boudreaux's position here, knowing that this is going to be my last head coaching job in my illustrious career, not quite Hall of Fame, but like good career. Um, and I was getting fired maybe tomorrow, maybe at the end of the season, but certainly not the head coach for the Vancouver Canucks in twenty three twenty four. I probably wouldn't be working twenty hour days. Like I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I might be be showing up, you know around the last possible moment where it is acceptable to show up and 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 not maybe being super unprofessional, like playing some defenseman at forward, but like no. not caring at all. Well, I don't know about not caring at all. Like I'm sure you mentioned earlier, he's a player's coach, right? And I'm sure he looks around that room and wants to do right by these guys. And that includes putting them in good situations and helping make sure, you know, hey, Bo Horvat, if you're moving on to the next thing, you're in a good spot. To, to do that from and you know hey Quinn Hughes you're this young kind of future of the franchise like let's make sure your developments prioritize here Elias Pettersson um, same kind of thing so I, I do think there's probably some element of um, he's still you know a player's coach is a player's coach mm. I don't think he's mailing in but yeah are you right back to the hotel after the game and immediately going through the film I don't know. <laughs> I he's he's got Monday Night Raw and Friday Night SmackDown to That's catch up right. on. Even, and some NXT he's thrown in there. He's a huge Kevin Owens fan. <laughs> Kevin Owens is in a big storyline right now that with no Raptors or Leafs tonight, you could absolutely tune into Friday Night SmackDown on the Sportsnet network of channels and check out what the buzz about why Bruce Boudreaux loves this guy so much. <laughs> yeah. 
So who would blame him for doing that? Anyways, all right, let's take a break and uh, come back. Um, I have a, another Joe Weiskamp. Weiskamp, sorry. Yeah. He, I, to, honestly, he was Weiskamp to me until he got into the game, and I understood that he was Weiskamp. Uh, but, yeah, he's Joe Weiskamp. I have another yeah. Joe Weiskamp thought. Also, Vlad Jr. is in town, was doing uh, media availability as uh, part of uh, the Blue Jays' winter tour, uh, and also the uh, reigning batting champion in the American League just got traded. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll talk about that and plenty more next as the fan drive time continues. Ben Adams, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. And some people may argue that we've already talked too much about Joe Wieskamp. To those people, I say, fa. You say what? Fa? Ha? Fa. Fa. Oh, okay. No, yeah. Ha? That fa? Was a, no, it was just fa. alarming. Fa. The way that, the, the way that you did that. <laughs> um, it was alarming. No, no I just look, say fa. When I, I mean, people who know who I am know that I care very deeply about, like, the G League and Raptors mm-hmm. now. Five, no, and I, I find player development very fascinating. But, yeah, it's. Usually uh, I'm the one putting, yeah, the, the limits on your discussions yeah. of the Joe Wies camps of the world. Yeah, like, look, today's top story to me would have been that second-round pick Christian Coloco is finally, for the first time, going to join Raptors 905. Yeah, good for him. Although He needs those developmental reps. Sure. I mean, yeah, you're trying to lose, so I, I don't know. I'd have him playing those developmental reps at the NBA level. Sure, why not? Anyways, uh, so Joe... Well, because, what? I mean, this is kind of the thing, and this is why it was so valuable for a Pascal Siakam to go down after starting, you know, 45 games or whatever it was. You dominate... Well, your role is completely different, yeah. right? Like if if Christian Coloco is in the NBA, he might play 15, 20 minutes and he might look pretty competent defensively like that. Absolutely. The foundation of a very good defensive player is there. Mm-hmm. But if you want him to get 10, 12, 14 field goal attempts in a game, get some reps scoring as the role man, even shooting threes or whatever, that is not going to happen at the NBA level. It's I, just I not, argue that it should. Well, you can't. First of all, like <laughs> the NBA doesn't allow you to like force feed possessions in quite that way because like a guy will get embarrassed if yes. he's not there yet. Um, you can do that a lot more freely in the G League. Um, you can also worry like do things like hey, block a bunch of shots and not worry about like if you get a foul, you're getting pulled out of the game. Like there is. There's a lot there. And then, honestly, it's sometimes as simple as, like, having 35 minutes of game tape to go through and look at things you did well and did poorly is a richer data set to develop from than, you know, four minutes here and three minutes there. Dude, okay, so I'm glad you brought up, like, taking a bunch of shots and then not being afraid that you're going to be yanked from a game. Because there's two things I want to talk, return to the Joe Wies camp thing. Because... um, it's remarkable that this guy's on his second 10-day contract. It's his first appearance as a Raptor, where first impressions are important in any walk of life. Oh, yeah. But especially when you're battling to have a professional basketball career, and your job is to hit threes, and all you do is, like, coming off cold, the the bench, you hit all three of your three-point attempts. That's in freaking incredible. That's that's well done. But also, it, it led me to this this thought, I forget where I first heard it, but it was so brilliant. It was years ago, and that it has not been enacted since then must mean that there's something I'm missing, that there should be a basketball bullpen where shooters are allowed to warm up 
like underneath the stands, maybe even just within full view of of the paying fans. Like, how is how is there not some place where you can get some shot ups, uh, shots up before entering a basketball game, especially when so much individually for Joe Wieskamp is on the line. This is a, a bullpen thing. It's also you can look at kickers in the NFL. They've got their little net, net on the yeah. sideline. Hundred um, percent. The there are a couple answers to this. Uh, one is that like this is the way it's always been done. So. This is the way we do it. But I know that's not a good explanation. No, it's not. Um, the biggest one I would say is that the space constraints in a basketball arena are much more significant than in a baseball or football arena. There is a lot of sideline room in football. There is, I mean, we, we're seeing the Jays renovate the Rogers Center right now, and there are just a lot of places you could put the bullpen or, or a lot of different ways you could do it. Dude, are you? And yeah, okay. Here's the big thing. Uh, first of all, NBA courtside seats are like the most valuable seed in sport, basically. So you don't want to lose any space at floor level. You also need whatever space you're giving to be like 15 feet high. And that is a hard thing to carve out just like in the tunnel. Now, the other thing is I've never talked to Joe Wieskamp specifically about this, but I've seen Matt Thomas do his pregame workouts and I've seen JJ Redick do his pregame workouts and I've seen CJ miles do his pregame workouts. Uh, it is not about just standing there and shooting. Those guys want get in the zone by shooting off a of movement. Yeah. Cause it's very rare that they're just standing still. And right. Shooting. So now you're not. So first of all, we're talking about, Oh, this is a bullpen thing. And now it's a bullpen thing. That's, 15 or 18 feet high and now it's a bullpen thing that's 15 or 18 feet high and like at least a chunk of a basketball court width the raptors have the closest thing to that in that they still have that practice court up on the third floor in the 300 level Mm -hmm. you could like is it so strange that you could have like a dumb waiter Mm. uh like Remember during the or championship year when they signed? Well, we don't want to do that because there have been accidents with that in the pro wrestling ranks oh. uh, before. You want to be a little careful. You can't do the Shawn Michaels coming in. Um, it's just not worth it. We, we do the dumb waiter thing. There's All right, a, there's a floor and there's someone operating it. It's safer. Um, remember in the championship year when the Raptors signed Jody Meeks to a couple ten days and then mm-hmm. signed him for the playoffs, and he was just playing those ninety seconds at the end of the second quarter and. If it was a blow, maybe he got in more, but they knew, hey, these last 90 seconds of the second quarter is Jody Meeks' time. Then you could absolutely be like, okay, <laughs> yeah. six-minute mark of the second That's quarter. Right. Go up Get there. upstairs. Well, get you he, sweating. Even in the Joe Wieskamp, like, his role was pretty clearly defined. Started right, the fourth he quarter. Didn't, he didn't, we didn't know when he was coming in but initially. He, yeah. And he doesn't come in in that fourth quarter spot if he doesn't play well in the second quarter spot. No, it's a good point. So that's part of it too is like you could be upstairs shooting and then over the span of 15 seconds, Gary Trent Jr. picks up too fast. <laughs> Get down here. Exactly. And then what are you doing? Are you burning a timeout just so <laughs> Joe Wieskamp can come down and get into the game? Um, all, I'm, all I'm saying that like, okay, do you think the possibility exists? Like say this thing did exist. And yeah, it's tough because you would probably, if you did it for the home team and people found out that you had it, it would be a pretty clear unfair advantage to not have one for the well, visiting I think, team. I think they would just make you. Yeah. You would have to have it. But it's if like, you could, like, if like you the could. visiting team is allowed to use your batting cages underneath the Rogers Center in behind the dugouts. Like. Right. But if there was like, if there was a, a statistical, like somebody did this and their bench shot like, 15% better from three, almost whatever the cost was, 
And especially if you're a team with a crazy billionaire owner like the Dallas Mavericks and Mark Cuban or, you know, all the money that the, the Clippers the war, are yeah. unleashing a new arena sometime in the next couple of years. Dude, like, yeah, if there was a statistical advantage to doing this, it almost doesn't matter the cost that somebody would be doing it. But we don't know. Again, we don't I, know. And you'd have to build it into like the like the bones of the arena. Mm. Like, like the only spot that I could see it. And I apologize for those who haven't been in underneath Scotiabank Arena, but like where we do media and the playoffs and things like that, um, day to day, that's like a loading dock and where they store a bunch of the stuff. And like for the turnover between hockey and concert and basketball, you could figure it out. You could figure it out, but you would want to build it into the bones. And there would be the logistical challenges of what if you decide not to use this guy or decide to use him earlier or whatever. And then it would almost only be relevant for like, joey's camp types (laughs) because if you're like regularly getting minutes like if you are i don't know nobody on the bench plays so there's no good example here but let's say (laughs) let's say you're gary trent jr and you're playing 32 minutes a game off the bench well that's like eight minutes in four minutes out eight minutes in four like you're probably not finding a value in that yeah exactly Yeah. yeah all right i'm just saying it's it's weird that yeah joe wieskamp poor joe wieskamp who's like future depends on hitting the three point shots uh, has to do it without any warm up, you know, or at least half an hour to an hour between warm up sessions. Pretty would, incredible. Would you believe me if, in addition to that Naismith Cup thing and uh, ranking all the trades in Raptors history and ranking every free agent signing in Raptors history, if I had also during the pandemic uh, or not during the pandemic when they signed Freddie Gillespie? And he was very good for a couple of games. Uh, went through and ranked every ten day contract signing in Raptors history. No, of course you've done that. Yeah, of course I have. Um, Joe Wieskamp, not not quite up there yet, but I will say the the comparison point for him is Nigel Hayes. Ooh, uh, Nigel with the Bree comes in. He plays two minutes or plays two games rather, six minutes, two for two on threes. Wow. No, and he's, then he's already outdone Nigel, I would say. Loses his minutes from there because Dwayne Casey didn't love that Nigel Hayes, he'd been with the Knicks G League team. Yeah. Comes up, he gets those two threes against the Knicks and shoots the arrow at the oh, Knicks bench. No, that's yeah. brutal. Oh, uh, man, let Nigel have his moment. Yeah. And that is, that let was, him have the Brie. Yeah, all right. <laughs> uh, he is the franchise's all-time leader in points per minute, three-point percentage, and true shooting percentage. Sure, why not? I uh, didn't miss. All right. Uh, that was. An- I thought we were done with Joe Wieskamp um, corner, but apparently not. He's, he's intriguing to me. Um, more intriguing, though, is the future of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. with the Toronto Blue Jays. He's in town. Uh, who else is he with? Santiago Espinal's in town. Kevin, Kevin Kiermaier. Kiermaier. Yeah, Chris Bassett. They're all, they were all at the Leaf game the Chris other day. Chris Bassett is a large dude. Yeah, he is. Yeah, I know. It's, it's really, it's really <laughs> like nice though, and tall. In those pictures, it's like, whoa. Yeah. Like, you, you hear six foot five, and then you see it, and he's, he's yeah. six foot five. No. It's uh, like, uh, not, not to get made fun of again for when I was like, huh, Matt Chapman's only six feet tall, eh? Uh, <laughs> yeah, Chris Bassett's six foot five. The, people's heights do be different, though. Yeah. Uh, Alec Manoa would still like just eat, he'd be a snack for for Alec Manoa, but yeah, he's compared to us, um, he's he's big. By what? the way, Alec Manoa right now uh, doing off season workouts with kind of flopped prospect Adam Kloffenstein, mm-hmm. uh, who saw that. I'm I'm you know I was pretty out on, and they didn't protect him in the Rule Five draft, and it didn't end up mattering. Uh, former third round pick who's still only 22 and has lost a lot of his velocity. I'll just say if. Uh, 
I don't know. Maybe you get on that Alec Manoa workout plan, that Alec Manoa diet. Some of that velo comes back. Mm. All right. We'll anyway, see. that's not what you were talking about. You were talking about Vlad. Yes, who's in town. He was out of school today, and, you know, he's pandering to the kiddies, and he loves beating the New York Yankees, which is all well and good. It's not the first time he said that before, mm-hmm. but that, that plays. That plays the base. That's good Good uh, politicking by Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Babyface 101. (laughs) He also was asked about contract extension conversations with the Toronto Blue Jays and said, quote, well, through his his interpreter this year, we haven't had conversations yet. I'm just going to stay focused and keep working hard, which is not surprising because I feel like some of the great Blue Jays reporters we have here in the building would have reported if, in fact, there were conversations ongoing between the Blue Jays and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He has three more years of team control. He and Bo Bichette, uh, although Vlad's going to make a lot more than Bo, even if he wins his arbitration hearing at seven and a half million bucks. Vlad's already been through ARB last year. But it's interesting to think about how this might and will come to fruition because I, whether or not you believe the Blue Jays will extend Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and or Bo Bichette, like a conversation is going to happen. Like an offer will be made. You're insane if it's not. Like you, you have, it's not, it's not a David Price situation where like obviously his price is so astronomically high and we're not going to pay that. So we won't even bother to put something in front of him. No, at some point between now and their end of team control in three years, a a conversation and most likely a contract offer will be tabled to one of, if not both, of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette. It's just, it's really interesting to think about the the dynamics in play, one of which is if you start conversations, and man, the Boston Red Sox are a a pretty good example of how it can go pear-shaped. If you start conversations and you're way off what the expectation is from the player's perspective, how that can impact the relationship going forward. Secondarily, I mentioned Vlad and Bo with these parallel timelines. You talk to one guy and not the other. How does that impact the relationship? I, I, I just, there's going to be a conversation that takes place. And it, man, we're less than now a month removed from pitchers and catchers reporting to Dunedin. So I, I feel pretty safe in saying it's not this offseason. I mean, so, if they haven't talked about it yet. Yeah. So they're not going to talk this offseason. Very few, if any, eh, I shouldn't say very few, if any, but like it's not generally the way business is done that these things are done in season. Yeah. I wouldn't expect Atlanta something. Atlanta Braves only. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a little complicated to imagine it happening in season. That means you're going to go into an offseason in which you're staring down the barrel of just two more years remaining. How the hell do you do this thing? It's tough. And the Red Sox are a good example of how it can go pear-shaped and also a good example of how, hey, until a guy hits free agency, you might be fine because they actually worked out the one-year deal with Raphael Devers uh, as like a placeholder while they worked out a longer-term deal. So um, they did the kind of... You know, the equivalent of at that point, Vlad's probably going to be like 25 million in ARB or something like that by the time he's in his fourth turn to probably even more. I don't know mm-hmm. um, if Shohei Otani's getting like 40 million or whatever. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the Red Sox do offer a, a path that way as well. I am less concerned about the Vlad side of things just because, you know, this is a year where once again, they came to that agreement, um, you know, on the one year to avoid arbitration and it has it hasn't felt as contentious and like Vlad's role is pretty clear, right? He, they need him to be one of the best hitters in baseball. He's going to play first base in DH and he's young. He's still only 23. There is it's just he is 
we know who Vlad is with some certainty, and we know what that is going to look like over the next few years. We know what the baseline is. Yeah, and and it's not, like, incredibly high. Like, he was less than a three-win player last year by Fangraph's metric of war because if you're a first baseman, the bar to to hit is really high. But he's a gold-glove first baseman, and his quote-unquote bad season at the plate, he was 32% better than league average still like this is a guy who's probably going to hit 40 home runs again and probably going to hit 300 again at some point with Bo, you have to factor in the premium for the the defensive position and then your projection of whether and how long he could stay there and where he would move after and if he disagrees with you on that they've also now this is the second year in a row instead of coming to a quick agreement they were far apart to the extent that Bo rejected the kind of the paltry pre arb raise um, yeah. to, to you so know, keep cast your up, 20 grand. Yeah. I keep your 20 grand <laughs> so I can make a statement. And now they're like, like I know that 5 million and seven and a half million. When we look at the fact that the blue Jays will spend over $200 million this year, that's not a big difference in terms of an arb one salary difference. That's a 50% like Bo wants 50% more than what mm-hmm. the Jays had offered. So, we get into a situation here where like they're pretty far apart. And however that determination goes from the arbitrator, if they don't work out a long-term extension could dig one side into to their feeling more than the other. So um, it does feel like they're linked though, right? Like Bo and Vlad, just because of the timelines, they, they would have to be right. Like, it, like if they came out tomorrow and we're like, here's an extension for Vladimir Guerrero jr. We don't have one for Bo Bichette. Ooh. Like it would tell you something. <laughs> and it would also, it, it introduces this weird, they suddenly, whichever one of those guys you sign second has the first as a comparable, right? Right. So if Bo Bichette looks and is like, well, I was worth more wins above replacement than Vlad last year, or Bo signs first and then Vlad is like, yeah, but I'm younger mm. and, and I have more more upside in the bat. Like, I don't know. And you can't, it's not like you can have these clandestine parallel negotiations either, no. right? Like even if they're it's, not. It's in their best interest to tell each other that they're negotiating. This is why you have a union. No kidding. Right? Yeah. It's also interesting that Bo's not on this tour, but obviously not. He's in the middle of a potential, I mean, in, unless they figure out something long term, oh. a, a, an arbitration uh, hearing about to happen at the end of this month. Yeah. The other thing we got was uh, that Vlad is going to be a part of the greatest baseball lineup maybe ever Dude. in the World Baseball Oh, do you Classic. have it in front of you? Because it's it's incredible to look at. The Team Dominican Republic, I, it's, every time I, I think about how long it is until opening day of the baseball season, I am reminded that we have like meaningful-ish baseball in the World Baseball Classic coming up. Um, in about a month and a half, uh, in the middle of March, and there's going to be uh, some notable Blue Jays taking part in this. But yeah, Vlad is going to hit in the middle of a Dominican Republic lineup, a, a team that's won one of these. I think it was a couple of tournaments ago. But it's I, it's I don't know how they lose. It's a good enough lineup that Juan Soto has offered to hit ninth. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> if that gives you any kind of idea. So the outfield would be Starling Marte. This is um, the preliminary roster, by the way, and projected starters would have Starling Marte, Julio Rodriguez, and Juan Soto as the outfield. Manny Machado, Jeremy Pena, Jose Ramirez, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. as the infield. Rafael Devers at DH, Gary Sanchez behind the plate, and uh, Sandy Alcantara starting. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Luis Arise is going to play for Team Venezuela. Uh, mentioned that he was the reigning American League hitting champion. Perhaps uh, the layman might not be aware of his 316 average, which is kind of sad that that is what you need to hit to win a batting mm-hmm. championship in 2022. 
fingers crossed that that's not the case in, in 2023. But he was traded. Uh, twins sent him to the Marlins for a guy that was on the Blue Jays' radar big time, Pablo Lopez, right-handed starter. And the Twins get, like, some prospects. So, yeah. like, I don't know. Far away prospects, but, like, yeah, 17-year-old and a 19-year-old prospect there it's not nothing mm-hmm. I, and i said this to you before we came on the air like it's a little surprising because if things were in a vacuum and you put pablo lopez and luisa rise on the trade market i think you would get more for pablo lopez even with one fewer year of control but maybe we're underestimating the value of that extra year of control um luisa rise is a fun player though yeah you know what puerto rico's uh projected infield is by the way no it's four shortstops francisco lindor <laughs> yeah. carlos correa javi baez and jose miranda <laughs> i know miranda is not like a established major leaguer yet or whatever but like that is a pretty ridiculous yeah they're gonna infield. be able to field it all right yeah. that's cool can't wait for that thing all right last call brought to you by bet rivers it's a whole new game all eyes in the NFL this weekend and uh, hockey mm-hmm. night in Canada, uh, hockey day in Canada happening tomorrow. Leafs, uh, Montreal Canadiens, but AFC divisional round playoffs. Uh, the uh, NFL team of fan drive time, Jacksonville Jaguars at Arrowhead to play the Chiefs. Chiefs nine point favorites at home. Bills at home, where this game should uh, be in a neutral site if the AFC Championship game is, but mm-hmm. it's not. It's in Buffalo, and uh, the Bills five and a half point favorites. A lot of Talk on the intranets how people are taking the Bengals and I guess an upset. But yeah, no, it's, it seems like a pretty even matchup. Uh, NFC divisional round playoffs uh, and NFC East affair as the Giants in Philly taking on the Eagles and the Eagles uh, seven and a half point home favorites. And the nightcap wrapping up the weekend in San Francisco, the Niners four point favorites over the Dallas Cowboys. And that was last call brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. You know what? Have a great weekend, Blake. You too, man. All right. Listener, you have a great weekend as well. We'll be back on uh, Monday. This has been the Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.